Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Unbashful. It has been a beat since I've done an episode here. I want to thank you for stopping by. If it's your first time here, my name is Nicholas Doucette. I'm an aspiring actor, screenwriter, and, of course, podcaster. And I mostly talk about movies and television, things in that medium uh, on this channel. And we do upload on YouTube. I haven't uploaded in quite a bit just because of my current living situation. I, I don't quite have the room yet to to uh to make like a proper studio because before i was filming just on a blank white wall and uh i noticed you know in terms of views you know the views they they just weren't adding up now there's other elements of course i'm i'm very uh new to this still i've only been doing this for a little bit over a year uh so i don't quite have the audience yet but if you just kind of ask yourself just as an audience member and as a viewer like do you really want to watch and sit and just kind of watch somebody talk in front of a white wall, I don't think most people are going to have the, not only attention span, but the interest to to stick around and watch somebody. Unless it's, you know, you're like Joe Rogan or something. You could talk in front of paint drying, whatever. Um, so, <clears throat> like I said, it's been a while. It's been a little bit over a month. I've been very busy. I have, I have, a, I have a reasonable excuse. Um, it's not that I've been lazy. It's not that I've been slacking. Uh, for those of you who don't know, well, I mean, I just said in the beginning, I am an aspiring actor and I have been torn with, with the decision that I want to take in terms of how do I want to approach this very challenging career? Uh, because it's like anything, like any art form, any trade, anything that you want to do with your life in terms of like, a like a career, you need to be talented at it, you need to be skilled at it uh, in order to give that value to somebody else to hire you or, or whatever. And the thing about acting is a lot of people who don't know very much about it think that it's this easy thing where you just kind of, you just say your lines and that's it. And there is so much more to acting than that. There is movement, there's voice, there's... um how you look at a script there's the there's the there's the breakdown of the character understanding your character's objectives in that scene knowing about your character even the things that the audience might not know Vigo Mortensen a great actor talked about how when he looks and approaches a script he asks himself what happened before page 1 so that's what i mean by Knowing the character, knowing things about the character that the audience may not know. They might pick up on, it might be implied throughout the story. But anyways, where, where am I going with this? There are, there are very few actors, they do exist, but there are very few actors that just have that gift. You know what I mean? Like, we see it with athletes, we see it with every profession. There's always those rare individuals who just have that gift. They 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 have that it factor, right? And they don't really need to do training and they don't need to go through all the all these things. They kind of just got that in them already at birth. Am I one of those people? I don't know. I'm not the one to answer that question. Uh, I'm going to say probably not, but I'm going to let other people decide that 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 see me act and so on. So I need to train. I need to I need to practice my craft, hone in on it, and I've been doing that from home. Practicing monologues, looking at scripts, obviously watching, 
you know, my heroes like Daniel Day-Lewis and learning from them, but there's only so much you can do. I think you need, beyond, beyond the discipline you'll have in yourself, it is nice to have almost like a coach, almost like people to push you and be honest with you and be objective towards you and say like, hey, I don't think you're doing this very well. This is my criticism. Try and learn from it, right? So this all brings me to drama school, which is what I've been basically wrapped, that that's basically where the majority of my time has been wrapped in this past month and a half. I have considered going to drama school for about two to three years now, actually really about two years. And I've gone back and forth on this decision there, even to this day, and I still have a a bit of doubts, but I am going to be going to drama school. I finally made the decision to do it. And, uh, I've been going back and forth on it because on one hand, I can understand that, you know, it is kind of a waste of money because there are other ways to work on your acting. Like I said, you could work on it from home. You can take acting classes. So like you're not tethered to committing like the next two years of your life to going to acting school, whereas you can just take, I don't know, a couple acting classes a month. You can go like every other Thursday or something. Uh, And I'm sure... Film school students probably want, probably ask themselves the same thing. People don't want to be like a you know filmmaker, director, or whatever. Um, but what really kind of made me jump the gun is that I I want to commit two years, which is the 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 length of this program. I want to commit two years to just working towards this every single day. Right, And I'm not putting my life on pause to do this. I'm still going to try and get more auditions and, 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 and try and you know do commercial work if I can, if I'm lucky enough, while I'm in film school. Because I think that's the mistake that some people make that I've spoken to that go to film school and that go to acting school. They, they, they do it, and then in those two to four years that they do it, everything else is on pause. I'm still going to be trying to build my career, and, and, and still try and get work and so on while I'm in film school. But in terms of being in an environment every day where I'm surrounded by people that are as passionate about this as I am, I'm sure there's going to be some people that are going to be like 18, 19 years old that are just coming out of high school that still don't even know what they want to do. And those people will fade out probably after semester one. We see it every year. I was one of those kids. You know, I, I took a I took police foundations right after high school, had no intentions on being a police officer, but I had no identity. I didn't know who the fuck I was. Still learning, of course, still very young. I'm not trying to sound like one of these pretentious, you know, I'm young, wise Yoda people that think they all got it figured out when they're like 22, 23. That's not me. I'm still figuring it out, but I've come a long way since then. And I know a lot more about myself and who I am, what I want to do. But at that time, like a lot of young people, people that are, you know, coming out of high school and and having this existential crisis of, well, what do I do now? And I'm sure there's going to be some people in this program, but for the majority, there will be a lot of people there that are like me, that are, that are passionate about this craft and that just simply want to get better. I just simply want to get better as an actor. And I've auditioned for several schools. Thankfully, fortunately, I got accepted to everyone, uh, which, which is, which is quite good. I, I prepped hard, I trained hard for these auditions, and it was very vigorous, you know, I, I thought, you know, this is, this is, 
this is drama school at the end of the day. Like I, this is a business. They need to make money every year. So of course they're making us audition, but at the end of the day, they, they want our money, but it didn't feel like that. Like I understand like, I guess I got to pay tuition and whatever, but it, it felt very real. It felt like this was a, like this was a audition for like a film or for like a television series. Like they, they, like I had to go to like two call, two, three callbacks, do all these different, you know, monologues and, and scenes and, and it was a very vigorous process and I was competing against a lot of people, but thankfully, uh, through a lot of hard work I got in. So that's, that's, that that's where I've been. That's what I've been up to. And I'm not saying it to like whatever brag or, or, or none of that. I'm just kind of letting you know, uh, the process. Well, my computer just decided to tap out on me while I was talking, but picking up where I left off, uh, yeah, so that that's what I've been doing. I've been prepping for these auditions, and I've been working on a short film that I'm going to be shooting soon with a few friends of mine. It's nothing little, or excuse me, it's nothing huge. It's just a little short film, and, and you know, just another way to kind of get experience and almost have that be like a film school, so to speak. So, but yeah, as I was talking about this whole kind of um, debate I've had with myself about film school, you know, you, you can find so many videos and of actors and, and actresses and filmmakers talking, you know, on one hand, you'll have famous actresses and actors saying, oh, film school is a great way to build your craft. And then on the other hand, you have more of the self-made entrepreneurs like Tom Cruise will say like, well, I just kind of figured it out on my own. I didn't need to go to film school. And when it comes to this question, like, should you go to drama school? Should you go to film school? I think it is entirely dependent on the individual and what you want to get out of it. So for anybody that's listening to this, if you're if you're kind of in that same boat as me and you're considering going to film school and drama school, I'll tell you this. On one hand, you could say, oh, it's a waste of money, but I I, I think that's I like I said, I think it's dependent on the individual. My mindset is I'm going to drama school, not for the piece of paper that's going to say I went to drama school being the diploma that I'm referring to. No, because I know that's going to get me nowhere in life. I'm going for the training, for the networking, because these could end up being my colleagues that I end up working with, right? These people that I could be going to school with, you know, if I build enough, if I build a relationship with them and they audition for something, they could refer me, vice versa, I could refer them. It's just, it's it's a, it's a good way to network in, but most importantly, it's a great way to build your craft. If you think you could do it on your own, do it on your own. Uh, I certainly think I'm capable of doing it on my own, but I've, I've sort of taken that approach the last couple of years with acting and I've, I've, I've given it a shot. And I think now I want to be in an environment where I'm pushed beyond my limits. And when I talked to the program coordinators, that's what I told them. They asked me, what do you want out of this program? And I told them, I'm not here to party or live that, you know, college lifestyle. I'm spending my money to be here. So I want to get the most out of it. And I want to be pushed beyond what I might perceive as my limits as an actor. That's the most important thing. So for those of you who want to go to drama school and film school, only go if you are truly passionate about it. Don't go for the diploma because that won't get you a fucking job at all. It won't get you anywhere. Yes, you could have it on your resume as an actor, but they're not going to care. Even if, I honestly, I don't think casting directors are even going to care or ask if you finish the program. If they see that you went there, that might tell them like, okay, this guy is serious or this, this girl is serious. 
uh, about this craft. Now, that's obviously not going to be the case for everyone. It comes down to your talent and your, your ability. But yeah, overall, I think just to kind of wrap this up before we get into all the topics today, uh, that's what I've been doing working hard at that and I intend to do more podcasts in the coming months being a little bit more consistent with it uh otherwise it, you know there's just not going to be an audience here if I'm only doing an episode once every couple of months um so yeah without further ado let's kind of jump into the meat and potatoes here the first thing we're going to talk about is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 so I saw the film I saw it a few weeks ago I saw it on the 5th so the Friday of the 5th the day after it came out and uh I loved it. It was great. I had, I had a great time, and uh, let's let's kind of just. I, I think we could talk spoilers. The film's been out for for quite a bit now. If you haven't seen it at this point, you're probably not that interested, and you're kind of just waiting and, and for whatever reason. So you've been warned. I'm going to talk about spoilers. So if you want to come back in about ten minutes or so, uh, so be it. But let's kind of break down. Um, my thoughts, I'm just sort of, I got my notes here. Um, okay, so the movie overall, um, I think it was great. It was a great send-off to the Guardians. I don't know if you, I don't know if I want to call it a farewell, because I think they're they're definitely going to come back. Maybe not the same team, um, but I think when Avengers Secret Wars approaches us, I think everybody that's ever been in a Marvel project, even the even the Marvel adjacent films like Ghost Rider and, and, and the Sony stuff, I think we'll see them come in as well. So I think the Guardians will come back. I know we've heard Dave Batista and Zoe Saldona and, and, and Chris Pratt talk about how, you know, this is their hurrah or whatever. And but they'll be back. You know, um the thing about these actors, you see them in interviews and they they always say, you know, if it's the right project, but there's something that they're not mentioning, and we all know it. Money talks. When Avengers Secret Wars comes out, that film is going to have a fucking $400 million budget. It's going to be the most expensive film ever made, and everybody is going to get paid. Even if they're only going to get about 10 minutes of screen time, you can expect to see everybody and anybody come back. Even Scarlett Johansson, I know she said that her chapter and her time is done with Marvel. She will be back. Chris Evans will be back. Everybody will be back. But this film, if this is the last time we're seeing the original cast and crew of the Guardians, I thought it was a great film. And uh, I'm not going to you know, answer the question quite yet of like, is this the best out of the three? I'm actually going to see it one more time tomorrow. I'm a true believer in seeing the film, seeing a film, especially a Marvel film, if you're really going to kind of compare it, because that's naturally what we do as fans. We compare it to the previous films and so on. It's, it's, I don't think it's wrong to do that. I think it's just natural. Uh, it's one of the best Marvel films I've seen in the last few years. Um, I know Quantumania got a lot of hate. I'm going to be honest with you. I actually really enjoy Quantumania, and I think it's a, I think it's a little bit overhated in my opinion. It definitely has its issues. CGI was not great in that film, but I like the story. I like the performances, and despite what's going on with Jonathan Majors, I loved his performance in that film. And I'm really, I'm really hoping he's innocent, and not because I want him to play Kang. Obviously, I hope he's innocent. In, in terms of I hope he didn't do the things that he's being accused of because that's obviously terrible and if he is um, if he is uh, convicted um, for excuse me if he's guilty for the things that he's done then absolutely he should be recast and he should um, he shouldn't be working because you know you, you don't lay your hands on a woman uh, you just you don't do that but anyways besides the fact 
I like Quantum Mania, but Guardians is a better film. Um, and we finally get to see the the origin story of Rocket Raccoon, and it's been hinted, it's been implied uh, in in the in the first Guardians movie. You know, Rocket talks about how he was experimented on and how he was kind of pulled apart and put back together. Uh, the first film really wasn't an origin story for any of the particular characters. It was it was the origin story of them coming together as a team. The second film, Volume 2, was more about Peter and his father. So we got that, and then now we're getting Rocket's story. And there were so many times where... Like, like this is a very emotional film. Probably the most emotional film, MCU film, rather, uh, since Spider-Man No Way Home. Like, it, it was... It was you know, I I often cringe going into these a lot of these Marvel projects that are coming out. We'll hear critics, we'll hear pundits saying, uh, "This is the darkest thing Marvel has done since this," or "This is the this is the uh, you know whatever." I'm sure you've heard it too. We've heard it for like we heard it for Moon Knight. We heard it for. Uh, I think I even heard some things about Quantum Mania. I heard like Kang is like a genocidal like maniac akin to like hitlers or okay, maybe maybe people didn't go that far but i heard stuff you know like that and i hear stuff like that going into a lot of these marvel films and i'm at the point where i don't take that that discussion seriously until i actually see the film and then i give and then i sort of give my take on it and this there was a lot of discussion that this is a very dark film. This is very sad when it deals with you know Rocket's backstory. And once again, I thought, oh, here we go again. People overrating how dark it is and whatever. We heard that with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. People said this is a straight up horror film, and I knew that was complete bullshit. You have to be the most vulnerable, sensitive human being when it comes to horror films and, and those tropes to actually watch multiverse of madness and be scared i know sam raimi directed it but i'm gonna be honest with you i've seen the evil dead and i've seen some of sam raimi's other films i find them more goofy than i do scary and i know that's that's part of his style but anyways i'm getting off track like <laughs> let's stick to guardians here uh this is actually quite a dark film. I will actually agree with a lot of the sentiments that have been given by the critics. This is a pretty emotional film, especially when it comes to Rocket's backstory. Like, there are some straight-up animal cruelty. And the villain, the High Evolutionary, he is probably one of the best villains we have seen in a Marvel movie on besides Kang, I would say he's the best Marvel villain we've seen since Thanos. Yes, I'm going that far. I, I am kind of getting sick and tired of this whole trope, of this whole consistent thing we're seeing, not just Marvel films, but a lot of these superhero films that the villain, they, they don't let the villain ever go full evil. He always has to have some sense of humanity that kind of pulls him back in. And that's, that's okay for some villains, but like, I, I've been waiting for a comic book movie to give us a villain that we can just fully hate without having some reservations like, okay, I see, you know, I, I don't like that he's doing this, but I can kind of see where he's coming from. No, like, let's just have a villain that's just fully off the fucking wheel and just, we can just completely hate him and root for his demise. And we have that in the High Evolutionary. There was no redeeming qualities of this character whatsoever. I was cheering whenever he was attacked. And I was just hoping that the Guardians would just absolutely fuck him up. And I was happy when they did. 
Because all the flashbacks, when we're seeing him with Rocket, not just him with Rocket, with all the other animals as well, it was genuinely heartbreaking. And I don't exaggerate that. I, I truly feel that way. And it was kind of tough to watch at times, especially, and I know everybody's going to probably agree, especially the scene when uh, Rock, all of Rocket's uh, friends, Teef's Floor, and Lila, when they die and he just lets out that, that 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 cry that scream that fucking that just that was that was like I was choking up that was tough to watch uh yeah that and and <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you I'm excited to see the film again but I'm not I'm actually not looking forward to watching those scenes play out in front of me again because they were very sad but at the same time and I don't want to sound contradicting, that's part of the reason why this film is good, is because of how I felt. When you watch a movie, right, if you can walk out feeling something, it doesn't always have to be happiness, it doesn't always have to be sadness, if the movie can 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 emotionally, can influence you emotionally and have you walk out feeling something, then I think it did its job, if it can leave an impact on you. If you walk out of a film and, and you're just kind of like, eh, whatever, then I don't think that was a good movie. And I've had that a couple of times this year. I had that with Knock at the Cabin. I was like, eh, okay, whatever. It, that was a movie. <laughs> yeah, like I've I've seen this um I've seen this 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 new kind of quote or phrase that's been going on around online. And when people talk about movies that are bad, they just say it's one of the movies of all time. And I felt that way about a lot of movies this year. I just watched the new Evil Dead film recently. That was just a, a generic hodgepodge horror film. I, I didn't really like it. It was like, ah, it's, it's, it's one of the movies of all time. Felt like that would knock at the cabin. It's just one of the movies of all time. Uh, yeah. And when I left guardians, I felt joy. I felt sadness. I felt, um, but I also felt satisfied, right? If this truly is the last time we see the guardians, I would be okay with that, but I know it's not going to be obviously this is the MCU. Um, we know that these characters will be back. And one surprising thing about this film was that nobody died. I think we all expected at the very least to see Drax die. Because the way Dave Bautista talked about his time with the character and his time with the character in this film was always like, this is it for me, I'm done. Uh, and I think a lot of people just assumed that he was going to die. And a lot of people also assumed that Rocket was going to die. Now, I never actually thought he was going to die. I was... I was of the, the 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 minority of people that thought that they were intentionally misleading us, especially with all the posters and all the trailers, I think they wanted us to believe that he was going to die. When in reality, I think the message that they were they were trying to say was that th this is really Rocket's film, and it very much was. And I thought, you know, hands down, to Bradley Cooper, he he did a fantastic job. And I was talking about this with a friend of mine. When it comes to making these films, it actually must be very hard for the cast that are actually on set because it's not like Bradley Cooper is doing the mocap for Rocket. He is in a booth, uh, and he's doing the he's doing the lines after they've filmed their scenes. So it's actually Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, that does all the mocap. I just found this out for Rocket. So I'm curious, like, does he say Rocket's lines in his own voice? And then from there, obviously, the other actors have to play off him. Like, that must be very challenging. Um, and, and then vice versa, you know, for Bradley Cooper, yeah, he's only he's in a booth, but he's not with the other actors, so he can't play off, off of them, right? Because 
the biggest thing for me is that I, I know it's called acting, but you don't, you don't want to act, right? You want to react. You want to, Sanford Miser calls it, acting is living truthfully in imaginary circumstances, I believe. I, I think that's, I, I think that's the quote. Um, yeah, so that must be pretty challenging. And, you know, Groot was great. Groot obviously finally had a new line in the film. I love you guys. That was hilarious. That, that was the first time where he said it. And and I could actually like hear Vin Diesel. Like that actually sounded like him because so many times I forget that he actually does the voice of, of Groot. Um, and Peter Quill and Zoe Saldana, their, their dynamic in this film was great because obviously in Endgame, well, first of all, in Infinity War, Gamora dies, and then in Endgame, we we get a we get the 2014 version, and I think they they played off that very well because that could have gone very wrong, especially for James Gunn, right? He had apparently uh, he had no um, authority in that decision. That was completely you know Marcus and McFeely, the writers of Endgame, Infinity War, and obviously the Russo brothers. That was that was their decision. So now. You know, before this film coming out, James Gunn's kind of, you know, he 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 has to figure out how is he going to move forward. And you know, we've seen with Marvel characters die, they come back. So I'm sure he could have just gone that road and say, well, uh, this Gamora that died, she her memories are now implanted in the new Gamora. Like um, they could have easily gone that way, and I'm glad that they didn't. I think he handled that situation perfectly and it really feels like there were stakes in that regard because Peter Quill is dealing with the loss of the love of his life and at the end of the film he still doesn't get her back that is true um that is that that is true character right there he didn't get everything that he wanted and that's what I loved about this film these characters are flawed they are they are marked by traumatic experiences and they'll never be entirely whole they're not these you know wonder boy you know superman kind of you know characters right they are they're misfits as as they're tagged in the film um yeah so i know i'm kind of all over the place i'm not great at doing just like the formal review style uh, commentary that we see with guys like Dan Muro. They're great at it. I've tried it. I'm not, it's not really my thing. Uh, personally, I'll give my review kind of like how I'm doing right now, but I consider it very informal kind of all over the place, which I think at the end of the day, that's sort of what a podcast is. It's not supposed to be all, you know, um, I don't want to say unorganized cause it should be organized. You should have set topics, but it's not supposed to be like, like a super highly edited YouTube video, right? Um, so I got on my notes here. Yeah. James Gunn did a great job directing this film. I think the action sequences were amazing, especially the hallway fight scene. That was one of the best action pieces we've, I've seen in a Marvel film, probably since no way home. Uh, since that, 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 that sort of trio spider swing that we saw in no way home. Um, that was incredible as well. Uh, a lot of people were concerned that James Gunn was just going to sort of like almost do this film as like a contractual obligation. I never believe that at all. I know he's moving on to DC, but I think he, I think if, if this is James Gunn's last Marvel film, which I actually do think that this is going to be the last time he, he directs a Marvel film, um, at least for the next 10 to 20 years, I think he arguably directed his best one. But like I said, I need to, I need to see the film one more time to, 
to sort of give my my full opinion on that. Uh, every character had their moments. That, that That's another thing I loved about this film, right? It, it, it very much, everything kind of came full circle, even for Mantis. I know we were, we were introduced to Mantis in the second film, but at the end where she's like, okay, like I need to figure out what I want to do with myself because I've been at the mercy of, of basically being a grunt for ego and I've loved my time with you guys, but I've been in service to, I've been partially in service to you guys. I haven't actually done something that I've wanted to do. Uh, so I think now she's going to sort of go off on her own for a bit, search for her identity. And then we see that with Peter Quill, you know, he hasn't been to earth. He hasn't seen his grandfather in decades. So he's going to go with him. And we'll talk about that post-credit scene in a little bit. Um, cause I, cause I do want to get into that. I think that sets up some future stuff. Uh, the CGI, I think the C- this was the best CGI, we- I can say this confidently, this is the best CGI we've had in a Marvel film since Endgame. I love No Way Home, but you could tell they were still editing that film as it was in theaters. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember specifically that when we first see Andrew Garfield, they edited the way he looked when he jumped through the portal? And if you went back to see the film several weeks later, it looked a lot better. Like that film, for as good as it was, the CGI was was bad. I'm just going to be honest, especially on, on, on all the shots of Tobey Maguire when he when he had his suit on and his mask, I'm sure you guys have probably seen the still images on Instagram comparing the way he looked in that film. He actually looked better in his old early 2000 Spider-Man films than he did in this film. So, you know, Quantumania and No Way Home had some pretty shitty CGI. I'm just gonna be honest with you. And it's it's not the worst. Like, in the moments where it really counted, I thought it was good. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not a fan of releasing films unfinished right and they kind of felt like you know quantum mania and no way home visually speaking they felt like they were released unfinished and i gotta say i i i feel i feel like guardians of the galaxy was not just released as a finished product but i think the cgi was amazing in this film it was believable i was never taken out of it there was never that uncanny valley feeling i've talked in the past about how I think Marvel should kind of sh- like stray away from the sound stages. I think the, the biggest uh, example I think of, of like the worst use of the sounds or of, a, of the volume stages was in Thor love and thunder. I thought that was, pr- that's probably the worst visual effects out of all the recent Marvel films was, was Thor love and thunder. And I, I couldn't tell if they were using the volume stages in this film or not. I, maybe they just went back to the full green screen. Who knows? Like I, I get the vo- I get the uh, the benefits of the volume stages, especially for the actors and the crew. It's it, it kind of allows you to buy into your performance a little bit easier because you're actually seeing the things around you beyond just you know the the uh, the foreground that's in front of you. So I get that helps, but when you're actually watching it, it's just so obvious that like you know, <laughs> um, yeah. So what else? What else can I talk about here about the film? Uh, the runtime, I thought the runtime was great. I think the film was like two and a half hours. Lately, Marvel has been doing this thing where, not with all their films, like uh, Wakanda for, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, definitely had the runtime that it needed. But like Multiverse of Madness, um, Love and Thunder, uh, Black Widow, uh, these films have all just kind of uh, hammered around 
two hours, and I don't know if this if that was some kind of Bob Chapek mandate. Who knows? Uh, I think give these films a runtime they need. I mean, look, if, a, if if these films truly feel like they need the two hours, I guess give it. But Multiverse of Madness, I think, would have easily benefited from another 20 minutes so they could have actually ventured through these other universes for a film called Multiverse of Madness. They pretty much only spent time in two other universes. Would have liked to see them spend a little bit more time in these other places. Uh, but I digress. Um, I'm glad this film got the runtime I needed. I thought it was perfect. I was never bored. Uh, what else can we talk about here? Um, Adam Warlock. Uh, a lot of people are saying he was the worst part of the film. I don't think so. I think uh, it was good to see him. I thought Will Poulter did a great job. And I think I think they're just setting him up for a bigger role in the MCU. And I think we're going to get a lot more of him. I think he worked well within the story. He didn't take away from it. Because the last thing you want to do is have him uh, not necessarily steal the show, but make the film about him. I know he was teased in Volume 2, but I thought he worked. I think he he. He was in the film as much as he needed to be for this specific story that was being told, mostly about Rocket and obviously the uh, the um, the conclusion to a lot of the arcs for these characters in the MCU. Um, so I thought you know he did a, a fine job. I don't think he was the worst part of the film for me. Uh, the box office. So this was a big discussion. The box office for this film, this on opening weekend, it made 118 million dollars domestically. Uh, now that is less than volume two, which opened to $146 million domestically in 2017. And, you know, at first glance, when you look at that, you think, oh, that's not good. But I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, Number one, I think this film took way too long to come out. And I understand that, you know, there's some reasons for that. James Gunn got fired for the tweets Uh, And then he got rehired and all that. I understand. And then the pandemic and so on. But really, this film should have come out during Phase 4. Probably in early Phase 4, honestly. This film came out way after it should have. And I think that has to do with... Partially has to do with the film making less money than Volume 2. Second reason is when Volume 2 came out, it was the second film ever. Obviously, it was the second film after the original, and the original was one of the biggest surprises. Nobody saw that film coming. Everybody thought it was a dumb idea to 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 make a film about a talking raccoon and a and a tree and and all these other characters, and then that film was just beloved by everybody. So, obviously, and it came out within a few years after the original. So there was still that there was still that um that that thirst for it, if you will, and. Like like 2017. That's fuck. That that's that's like five years ago. You know what I mean? Like that's that's quite a long time since since then for for the third film to come out. Um, honestly, I think the third film should have come out probably in like 2020, 2021. So I think those kind of have to do with it. And you know, it was, it was obviously a different different time before the pandemic. We were in the we were in the thick of the multiverse saga. And people wanted to see what what the Guardians were going to do next with Volume Two, so that's part of the reason why I think it uh, it didn't perform as well. But make no mistake, one eighteen million is still very good. And I think I just checked; I think it made sixty million this last uh, weekend, which is which is still very very good. So I think this film is going to have the legs to. I don't know if it's going to make a billion dollars, but I could definitely see it making anywhere around the sort of seven to eight hundred million, which I think is a win. If you're Marvel, I think you take that. That's a win. Uh, last thing I'll talk about before we move on to Oppenheimer, 
is the post credit scene. So, I already talked about it earlier, I think we're going to see the Guardians come back together, but I don't think it's going to be in another Guardians film. Even with this new team with Adam Warlock and, uh, you know, Rocket and Groot and uh, the, whatever, the little girl and, 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 and Sean Gunn's character. I think we'll see them in other Marvel films, but Peter Quill is an interesting one because in the post credit scene it said the legendary Star-Lord will return. I've, I've watched a lot of videos, I've done my research, and uh, and a lot of these comic book channels are saying that the legendary Star-Lord is an actual comic run when Peter kind of goes off on his own. So could we see Star-Lord in his own film or could we, could we see him in his own TV show? I think they could be teeing this up for a Star-Lord-centered film, and I would I would be totally game for that. And I think that that that'd be a great film. Uh, and and having him on Earth now, I think is I think is Marvel setting him up to be there for when the Avengers film, uh, the Kang Dynasty comes out. I think that's them setting him up to be around to to sort of hear what's going on like oh shit I think the Avengers need me well fuck I'm already here I might as well lend a hand and help out I think that's what they're setting him up for so we don't know I mean could it be a Disney Plus show I don't think so I think he's I think he's too big of a character to give him his own show personally and Chris Pratt is is like a huge star now at this point with Mario and he's have, financially I'm sure he's rolling in cash right now he's having a great year and he's making studios a lot of money. So I think I think he's almost too big to just give him a Disney Plus show. I think it makes more sense to give him a full movie and I think audiences would absolutely show up for a Star uh, for for a Star-Lord solo MCU film. I think I talked about everything. I know I know I was all over the place, but uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to continue on. We're going to talk about the new Oppenheimer trailer. But at the end of the episode, I'm going to give you my updated MCU list from the worst to the best. And it's going to include Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm going to do one of these every time a new Marvel film comes out. Because my list is always going to change. It's obviously like it depends how I feel. Um, and it's nice to revisit it every like two to three months to see how I feel. Especially after rewatching some of these older MCU films. Uh, they could, you know, I could feel different about them. They could go higher on my list or they could go lower on my list. Um, and I am going to, so I'm going to include everything in the MCU, all the shows, every movie, including, you know, the incredible Hulk. I know some people to this day try and debate that that's not an MCU film. It absolutely is an MCU film. We're seeing, uh, Betty Ross, who's going to return in Captain America, New World Order. Uh, obviously we saw, you know, Tony Stark showed up in a post credit scene in that film, and then we have Thunderbolt Ross, so the film is absolutely a MCU film, so I have that in there. The only uh, project that I don't have in this list is What If. I, I'm going to be honest, I just, I'm not a big uh, animation guy, I don't really watch a lot of, you know, animated stuff anymore, uh, that's just me, I just didn't really care enough to watch What If, so What If is the only thing. What if an I Am Groot? I have seen I Am Groot, but I'm not going to include it in the list. They're they're like little two-minute shorts on Disney+. Plus. They're not not stacking against even the worst MCU film on this list, which, uh, you know, I'll just give you a spoiler. It's, uh... Uh, it's, what's my worst film? It's, it's Miss Marvel, which is actually a Disney Plus show. I know a lot of you are probably already losing your mind. I know a lot of you love Miss Marvel and I totally respect it. I just, I don't like it at all, but I'll get into why, uh, at the end of the episode. So at the end of the episode, stick around for the whole thing. Cause at the very end, I'm going to run through 
my whole entire list of 41 projects in the MCU from 41 to number one. So anyways, let's talk about this new Oppenheimer trailer because it looks fucking amazing. All right, so if you have been on this channel before and you've heard me talk about movies, you know how excited I am for Christopher Nolan's next film, Oppenheimer, about the physicist J. Robert Oppenheimer, who was essentially the head of the Manhattan Project, which was all about the creation of the atomic bomb in World War II. Uh, I'm not going to go over how excited I am. I love Christopher Nolan. He's my favorite director. And when I was doing my most anticipated list, it is my number one most most anticipated film. And uh, we have a new trailer. And this is probably the lengthiest... Well, sorry. This is the longest trailer we've had for the film. And uh, it shows quite a lot. And I'm not going to lie to you. When I first watched it, I was kind of worried that it showed too much. But then I reminded myself that a this is a three-hour movie allegedly according to Matt Damon which I believe it I mean if he says he's in the fucking movie so it's it's a three-hour movie and if you've paid attention to this film fuck everybody in Hollywood is in this movie and I'd say we saw maybe five percent of the cast in this trailer so there's still a lot we haven't seen but I'm probably not going to watch any more of the trailers. I just, I really want to savor the flavor for when the film comes out because it comes out within a couple of months, I think less than two months, and we have this film with us. Uh, so I, this is probably the last trailer I'm going to watch, but it was incredible. It, it, it kind of shows a lot more of what the story is going to be about. It's very much a race against time, against, you know, the Nazis. You know, Oppenheimer in the trailer talks about we understand the what it means if the Nazis have a bomb, right? That's that, that's not good. <laughs> uh, and not only them, apparently at that time, you know, the Soviet Union were on their way to creating their own atomic bomb. And there was even um, conspiracies that Oppenheimer was contributing or, or he was a member of the Communist Party and he was kind of leaking information to them. So I'm sure that will have a lot to do with the film. I don't know everything about the whole story of the Manhattan Project, but... Just the, these kind of stories, I am just, I'm, I'm always here for them. They're, they're, they're compelling. They're, they're thrilling. And obviously, when you have Christopher Nolan directing it, you, you can just expect greatness. And I, I truly believe that this could be his best film yet. And I really like Tenet. I know it's, it's, it's definitely not my favorite Nolan film. It's probably not even top three. But every time I revisit that film, I actually enjoy it a little bit more. Uh, and I remember I, that came out at a weird time, 2020. That film made no money because, well, it came it came it it came out on not only in the pandemic, but it was when they had the old regime at Warner Brothers that did the whole day and date thing, which was an utter failure. Uh, now, when it comes to this film, box office wise, it's hard to predict how much it can make. It's obviously not like a Marvel movie, so I don't see it opening to like a hundred million dollars. But I could see this film making like 50 to 60 domestically opening weekend, which I think for a film like this is very, very good. Uh, then again, I'm not one of these, you know, box office websites. I'm just kind of pulling that shit out of my ass. I don't really know what it could make, but I don't even care. I'm just excited for this film. I'm excited that films like this are still getting made. Um, I'm not one of these people that thinks Marvel's taking away from everything. You can't blame the audiences if they're going to... 
If, if you want the audiences to watch your movie, make a good fucking movie. Now, I know not every movie is going to be for everybody, but I don't think you should be blaming Marvel for taking away a lot of the audiences. I think, if really, you just got to kind of look at the audiences and look at what they want to see. If they don't want to see your movie, well, then you might have to look yourself in the mirror. I don't think you should be blaming Marvel for stealing people from watching your movie. That's just me. Um, but yeah, this film looks incredible. Uh, this, the the stakes are for real. You know, it's 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 really compelling because at this time, you know, you have Oppenheimer and you have the whole Manhattan Project, and they're still they're still you know debating if it's even a good idea for you know the betterment of humanity to even create a weapon like this. Could can we handle this responsibility of creating this you know Earth? arguably earth-destroying weapon in an atomic bomb. And in the trailer, they were even talking about how uh, Matt Damon says, you know, there's a chance that we can destroy the world if we hit that button. Because at that time, they didn't know if it was going to kind of leak into the atmosphere, uh, you know, obviously with all the radiation and, and, you know, Killian Murphy says near zero. But even then, that's that's like near zero. So you're saying, as Jim Carrey would say, so you're telling me there's a chance. (laughs) Um... Yeah, but they don't really have a choice. They can ask themselves all they want, is this a good idea? But they know that their enemies are, are, are trying to make this same weapon or at least something close to it right now. So they kind of have to say, well, fuck it. We don't really have a choice. We have to do this because we know that if they make, if they get a hold of something like this before we do, we're fucked. So that's really interesting. It's very obviously Nolan style with time and everything like that. I I don't mind that at all. I think if if you're a fan of Nolan, you should you should be excited for that 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 Nolan trope at this point with a lot of his stories because time is of the essence with everybody. Uh, time is important. We all value our time, right? Um, the performance, Killian Murphy. I've I've been a huge fan of his. Now I'm not gonna lie. I'm not a big fan of Peaky Blinders. It's just not really my kind of show, I've given it a shot, it has nothing to do with the performances, it's just, I don't know, it's just not really for me, um, but I've loved him in all of Nolan's films, uh, and I think he's an incredibly talented actor, and this film isn't gonna like, it's not like this is gonna make his career, because m- many of us already know what he's capable capable of, but I, I think that after this film comes out, you're gonna start seeing Killian Murphy in a lot more movies because he hasn't been doing a lot of movies lately. He's obviously been doing a lot of television, uh, and I think he's already doing something, some new film uh, soon with Matt Damon under Matt Damon and Ben Affleck's production company. So I think that this film is going to kind of remind a lot of people in Hollywood just how amazing of an actor Killian Murphy is. It's not like Killian Murphy is you know, thirsting for work, I'm sure he's doing just fine, because obviously he's been working in this industry for decades now at this point, but this could certainly be Christopher Nolan's Oscar Oscar film across the board from Best Picture, and then Killian Murphy could easily win Best Actor from what I've seen. I know I've we've only seen trailers, but from all accounts, it looks incredible. Um, he, he looks the part, he looks a lot like Oppenheimer, which I don't think should always be the priority, but when it comes to, you know, making a movie, but I think when you're making a movie about a real life individual, you should try and find, you know, an actor that, you know, resembles this individual, but also is obviously talented and and very skilled as a performer, but yeah, this film uh, looks amazing, Matt Damon said, 
in an interview, he talked about how the film is three hours, or at least he, he, he thinks it's three hours, and he said Killian Murphy is phenomenal. So, really, really excited to see the film. Let me know, are you guys going to see Barbie the same day? That's all the memes and everything that have been coming out, you know, four tickets for Barbie, and it shows all the, all the, the you know, the, the people from... Uh, American Psycho, the Wall Street workers, or it shows like, you know, the people from the characters from Fight Club and all these kind of Sigma movies that a lot of people have, you know, joked and, and, and memed to death. Uh, I'm certainly going to go see Barbie the same day. Now, what are you going to see first? That's the big question. Are you going to end your evening with Barbie? Or are you going to end your day with Oppenheimer? For me, me and my friends, we're going to see Barbie first. And we're going to end our day with Oppenheimer. I think, you know, start the day light, see something fun, colorful, full of glee and joy uh, with Barbie. And then when the lights go down and it gets dark out, it's time to get serious. It's time, it's time, to, it's time to watch the creation of the atomic bomb. Anyways, I don't want to be all cringe, but yeah. Let me know if you're excited as I am for Oppenheimer. And now let's move on to the writer's strike because that is big topic of discussion right now in Hollywood. Actually, before we talk about the writer's strike, I totally missed here. Um, I, I mentioned earlier how the Oppenheimer trailer only showed probably about 5% of the cast. I got some of the other cast members on that I've written down here that weren't in the trailer. I didn't, I didn't even write them all, but I wrote some other, some other heavy hitters that are in this film that we didn't even see in the trailer, just to kind of let you all know, uh, if you didn't know already. So Gary Oldman's in the film. He's apparently playing the president of the United States at the time. Rami Malek, Casey Affleck, Dane DeHaan, Jack Quaid, Davis, David Desmolchi, and I can never pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, and so many more. That is insane. Um, Gary Oldman, one of the best actors of all time. Some people believe he is the greatest actor. I, I wouldn't say that, but I wouldn't argue with you if you, if you told me that, uh, Rami Malek, incredible Casey Affleck, go watch Manchester by the sea. Dane DeHaan, Dane DeHaan's a great actor. I haven't seen him in a lot of things lately though. Jack Quaid. I I'm not very familiar with Jack Quaid, but the, uh, people that I've spoken to that are, that are, um, fans of that Amazon show, the boys, are really excited because apparently he's uh, a great actor and he's in that show. And David Desmolchi and this guy is, you know, in sports you have these athletes that aren't like the stars of the team, but you see that they're they know their role and they get a 20-25 year career out of it because they just fit with any team. They're like a Swiss Army knife. They can just do everything at a, at a very they could do everything very well, but not do one thing, you know, spectacularly and I think that's David Desmolchi and I think he he is a Swiss army knife of an actor he is he's kind of like a role player so to speak I think he just fits well in everything he's in uh from prisoners to to dune to the dark knight he's just a great actor so I'm glad to see him in this film but yeah anyways let's move on to the writer's strike because I, I just thought I'd go back and mention that real quick so instead of me trying to explain what the writer's strike is about um I'm going to read this article here from from today. Uh, that's that's the what the name of the website. Um, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it is pretty long, but I'll just kind of read the uh, the main gist. So it says here, so why are Hollywood sh writers striking? And it says here, quote, 
Writers went on strike after six weeks of negotiations failed with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, a body that represents major Hollywood studios and, co- and production companies like Discovery Warner, NBC Universal, Paramount, Sony, Netflix, Amazon, Apple, and Disney. One of the strike's key demands is higher compensations. Shocker. Uh, They go on to say, medium weekly writer-producer pay has declined 23% over the last decade when adjusting for inflation, according to a recent WGA report. The the WGA is the Writers Guild of America, by the way, for those of you who didn't know. Um, They go on to say, our wages have been, this is a quote from them, our wages have been falling in the last few years as the streamer's profits have been skyrocketing, writer Amanda Mercedes tells Today.com. Mercedes, 36, who lives in Burbank, California, is a staff writer for the ABC crime uh, procedural, The Rookie Feds. She says the rise of streaming services like Netflix have changed the business model completely, making it harder for writers to find consistent, well-paying work. Whereas a successful show could have run for seasons during the cap- during the cable area, given writers steady job and learning for years, the binge uh, was uh, the bingeable bi- big budget shows made for streamers are typically shorter and renewed with less consistency. Writers have to scramble from job to job. With uh, traditional TV models, jobs are lasting six months, nine months, a year. I saw a writer the other day that said that her last job was four weeks, and that's not, and that's just not sustainable to be able to string together gigs in that way to make a living. Um, here, here, I'll read the last part here. Streaming also led to different format of writers' rooms. Mercedes pointed to the rising use of mini rooms, scaled down writers' rooms that have fewer. The higher fewer writers for shorter periods of time and often pay less according to the to the WGA. In a mini room, a, sc- a small group of writers typically work with the showrunner to break down the season's plot points and work on scripts, which are finished without them. Okay, so yeah, just kind of go on to talk about the mini room. So pretty much, what it what seems to be the issue is is streaming. That that seems to be the catalyst that that's kind of impacted the wages that's been giving it to writers because a lot of these shows uh like like it said in the cable area in the cable area like you know the sitcoms that we all know and love and and, and some of the other famous shows they'll have reruns that'll go on for years and years and writers will receive residuals and, and they're continuously getting paid from this show uh just just off of it just kind of playing on tv over the course of decades whereas now streaming has changed that and they're not getting the same residuals or if any at all from what I've read and that's kind of heavily impacted writers. I was listening to uh, to this podcast and this person talked about how the writer, one of the head writers for the show called The Bear, barely had enough money to attend the Emmy ceremony for the show that, that he wrote that won the Emmy and he barely even had money to, to put together a tie and everything. Like that is ridiculous ridiculous that's ridiculous and i've just started watching that show by the way it's actually very good um and yeah the, the writing's incredible like that that is that 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 shouldn't be the way it is writers should definitely get paid and the last writer strike happened in 2007 and i believe it went on for around three months i don't see this going on that long but who knows this this could this could be over in a week or this could be over in several months it's really hard to tell but i i got a funny feeling they'll be able to figure this out sooner than later um yeah this is crazy i mean we all understand the importance of writers if you don't have writers you don't have a show i mean what are you gonna you gonna ask the actors to write unless you're 
you know, Ben Affleck or Matt Damon who already have experience writing a film, you're probably going to get some haphazard hodgepodge thing put together. We need writers. We, we, it's plain and simple and pay the fucking writers what they deserve. It, it doesn't get any more cut and dry than that. And this, this could really fuck over Hollywood. There's already some Marvel projects that have been, I mean, Blade has just gone through the ringer. They shortly before this writer strike, they hired a third writer for that film. And that film was supposed to go into production in May. That was obviously going to get delayed anyways, because if they're hiring a third writer, now, apparently this third writer was not coming in to rewrite the script again. He was coming to sort of touch up some things that, that, that the second writer had written to sort of kind of polish it. And apparently he was one of the writers for True Detective. So that's actually a pretty good sign. But now writing on that has stopped. So production has halted on that. Uh, and to be honest with you, I think films and TV shows that are getting ready to start production with finished scripts should probably go on pause because it's very common for writers to be on set to 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 uh, to be there to make any changes because that's very common. Um, things change, obviously. Sometimes rewrites happen, you know, during production. Now, if a film is already shooting, like if they're if they're already halfway through production then I think they're they're fine to continue. But if a show, like, for example, The House of Dragons, um, or uh, actually that's uh, probably a bad example, uh, The Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, for example, they're about to start production from what I've heard, and they, they've said that they're just going to continue as is because they've said that they have their scripts already finished, and I think that that's kind of uh, naive in a way. Because um, like I said, things change, right? Sometimes some rewrites happen, and... Now you have eliminated that possibility entirely. Well, not they, obviously, because of the writer's strike. That that it that isn't a possibility, rather. So you have to 100% stick to the script. Now, if you have a better idea, if you have a th- if you think a you have a better line for this scene, you cannot use it. You cannot change it because you have to stick to to what you thought was the Holy Grail script that you wrote already for the show. So this is definitely gonna fuck up Hollywood a bit. Um, but I have a feeling, as I said, that sooner than later, this will get figured out because the writers just want what's fair. They're not, I, they're not asking to make as much money as these actors are making. Um, and actually let me talk about that for a second. I find it funny how, you know, some of these actors are protesting with, with the writers and you know, it's like, that's good. And, uh, you know, that's, it's, I'm sure, you know, they understand the value just as well as anybody that writers are important. We need them. But if I'm one of these writers striking, you know, I'm kind of finding it bittersweet that like, okay, you know, these big famous actors are protesting with us, but at the same time, it's like, this doesn't affect you. You're making 10, 20, 30 million, some of these actors, $30 million on some of these movies. You're eating up like a quarter of the budget. You're going to be okay. I'm the one that's fighting to pay my rent here. You know, like I appreciate your support. I appreciate you coming out, but like, <laughs> you know, it's, I don't know. That's just me. I don't want to sound like a dick. I don't want to sound whatever. Um, I'm sure a lot of these actors that are out here are are genuinely kind people. I don't I don't doubt that. But at the same time, if I'm these if I'm the writers, the people that are struggling to make ends meet, I see this actor come in and this actress come in 
who, you know, they're, they're making loads of money from these films that I'm writing or that I could be writing or these television shows. It's like, I appreciate it, but at the same time, like, you know what I mean? I don't know that that's just kind of how I feel about it. But anyways, the writer strike is obviously a major thing going on right now in Hollywood it's delaying a lot of films. It's delaying a lot of TV shows. So let's hope that gets figured out. Let's hope the writers can start getting paid enough just so they can put some fucking food on the table and put a roof over their head. I think that's all they want. I don't think that they, they, I mean, obviously anybody would love to have tens of $20 million. Um, but I don't think they expect that. I think they're, they're just asking for what's fair and I respect that. And I totally understand it. So, uh, yeah, let's see what else there is here. Um, yeah, that, okay, so that's pretty much going to wrap up all the notes. I addressed the big major topics. Now, before we wrap up the episode, before I get you guys out of here, let's go over that MCU ranking. Now, because there are 41 projects on this list, I am not going to go through every single one. That is an entirely different episode. That that That's an entire episode right there. I'm just going to run through them rapid fire. I'm not really going to go into depth. Uh, you may wildly disagree. You may agree. You may agree in certain areas and... I don't think anybody's going to fully agree with 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 somebody's MCU list. There's a, like there's always going to be some films that somebody would have higher or lower on their list. This is just how it is for me. But with Miss Marvel, that's that's the only one I'll talk about cuz I honestly think that's going to be the most controversial cuz I know some people who think that that is the best Disney Plus show. I've talked about Miss Marvel before. It's not that I don't like the character or the actress Iman Vellani. I'm excited to see her in the Marvels and I think that that film could be very good. It's doesn't really have to do with her. It's just the show itself, everything else. I'm not a fan of the high school slice of life kind of TV shows. My the only parts of the show I liked was just the things between her and her family. All even the the, the superhero stuff. I I just it didn't work for me. I thought the CGI was awful, especially in that finale. It just it felt like. It was kind of like Moon Knight. Moon Knight, the CGI in the Moon Knight finale was just bad. Uh, you could really kind of tell they they had that TV budget in you know in those moments. But so like it's not the character, it's not the performance. It's just simply like the high school style. It, it's just not for me personally. Um, but anyway, so I'm gonna run through the list rapid fire and then we're gonna call it a day. So this is my current updated MCU list. From the worst to the best, including Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So here we go. Let's get started. So number 41, Miss Marvel. Number 40, Thor the Dark World. Number 39, She-Hulk. Number 38, Black Widow. Number 37, Iron Man 2. Number 36, Hawkeye. Number 35, The Incredible Hulk. Number 34, Captain Marvel. Number 33, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Number 32, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Number 31, Iron Man 3. Number 30, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number 28, Werewolf by Night. Number 27, Shang-Chi. Number 26, Moon Knight. Number 25, Thor Love and Thunder. Number 24, Thor. Number 23, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, 22, Avengers Age of Ultron, 21, Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, number 20, Doctor Strange, number 19, Guardians of the Galaxy, volume 2, number 18, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, number 17, Ant-Man, number 16, WandaVision, number 15, Captain America, the First Avenger, number 14, 
Eternals. Number 13, Black Panther. Number uh, number 12, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Number 11, Captain America the Winter Soldier. Number 10, The First Avengers. Uh, the first Avengers movie, number nine, Thor Ragnarok, number eight, Captain America Civil War, number seven, Loki, number six, Iron Man, number five, here we go, top five, number five is the first Guardians of the Galaxy, number four, Guardian, Guardians of the Galaxy, volume three, um, I, I know I didn't really have an answer uh, quite yet, but to me, I, I it's honestly, number four and five are are, are, uh, are interchangeable for me. Number three, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number two, Avengers Infinity War. And number one, Avengers Endgame. That's my list, guys. I know a ton of you are probably, you know, punching the air, freaking out. Especially, I know a lot of you are probably thinking, like, you have Wakanda Forever ahead of the first Black Panther. You have Eternals ahead of uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and, and that that's just how I feel. Uh, that's just my list. I would love to know yours. It's all subjective. It's all it's all fun. We're you know it is what it is, and we'll revisit this list again when the Marvels comes out. But guys, that is gonna wrap up today's episode of Unbashful. Uh, if you stuck around this long, I want to thank you very much. I'm working on getting these episodes on YouTube as soon as I can, uh, and I'll see you on the next one, guys. Have a great day. Happy Mother's Day, by the way, as well. Call your mom. Go see your mom. Buy her some flowers, some chocolates. Go spend time with your mom. I'll see you guys later. Peace.